Well, good morning, church. Um, it's a great time, great opportunity to be able to celebrate someone's outward profession of faith through baptism. It's recognizing God's work, the new life of regeneration that he has done in Ramona's life and in our life as well, for those of us who have called upon the name of Jesus Christ. It's a great time of celebration. So also, just on the same topic of new life, I uh, just want to take this quick opportunity from Becca, myself, and Titus to say thank you so much for your prayers and meals over the past uh, probably month and a half, just with our newborn, uh, Athanasius. He's our second kid. Um, I don't know about you guys, but just leading up to the fir our firstborn, Titus, his birth, um, I heard a lot of stories of just how wonderful a moment it is when you see this, you know, baby coming to this world covered in goo, and, you know, you just have this immediate feeling of love and just the whole meaning of life kind of crystallizes at that moment in your child, and you'll say, I'll do whatever it takes to live for this child. Like, I'll give my own life for this kid. I'll, I'll, I'll do anything. And, you know, just, just a whole wonderful bubbly feeling. Uh, that happened with Becca. I, I clearly saw it. It did not happen with me. <laughs> it did not happen. That's probably not saying much anyway. I'm not too, too emotional. But that did not happen to me. But what did happen was something that was totally unexpected. Um, it's even a little ironic. You know, as, as I was looking at Titus, newborn in my arms, this moment of new life, the only thing I, could, I couldn't stop thinking about, death. <laughs> death could not get off my mind at that moment. And it lasted for a couple of days. Now, there's only been two periods in my entire life that I've actually contemplated death. The first time is more understandable. So it's senior year of college, I went to a military school for college, and you know, we're, we're about to graduate, and after you graduate, you're gonna be deployed, and our country was at a time of war at that time period, we still are, and so there's a chance that I could lose my life. There's a chance that I could be in a situation where hey, it's game over. And so I had to really think about process for a full year leading upon graduation that I could die. And I accepted it. It was fine. It was what I signed up for. If I die, I die. So it wasn't really that fearful to me. But this second time, looking at Titus, death, it was fearful. It was, it was fearful for me. Uh, the main reason is because I, you know, I always wanted kids ever since I was a little kid. And here's my firstborn, and I always dreamed about walking with my son or daughter, introducing them to Christ, help them learn, grow, learn more about God, even witness them being baptized. And now, death is served as a threat now. It served as a threat to my hopes and dreams. What I wanted to get out of life it could be crushed. It could die at any moment. Not necessarily. I wasn't too worried about Titus's death. I was worried about my death. Do I have enough time to teach Titus? Do I have enough time to walk with Titus? Now, there's nothing wrong with hopes and dreams. Hopes and dreams, in a positive way, can be very motivating. It can really align all aspects, all areas of a life to a particular goal and guide us. But as we all know, you don't have to live long in this life to realize that hopes and dreams, they die. They don't work out. Does it take you long to learn that there's a lot of things in this life that we are not in control of? Many times when those hopes and dreams die, 
we are crushed, we are devastated. But, but why? Why are we devastated? The majority of the time, the reason is because we place a lot of hope, we place a lot of joy, fulfillment in that particular dream becoming reality. When that dream doesn't become reality, we are crushed. Many times we don't even realize we had hopes and dreams until life throws us a curveball, and we're like, step back and say, hey, that wasn't what I expected. That's not how I expected life to go. This message, this sermon is about hope. And before I go any further, I really have to define hope. See, previously I was just talking about how we commonly think about hope. You know, it's a wishful expectation, it's a dream, maybe it'll turn out well, maybe it won't. That's how we commonly think about and talk about hope. But that's very different about how the Bible defines and talks about hope. Hope in the Bible is this, it's a future expectation, a future promise has not been fully realized in the here and now. But, but here's the catch. The outcome of that promise, that outcome of that future promise, is unchangeable. It is certain. It is real as real is right here and right now. So let me say this again. Hope in the Bible is very different of how we talk about hope in our culture. Hope in the Bible is this. Hope is a future promise has yet to be realized, fully realized in the here and now. But yet, that promise is certain. It is unchangeable. This morning, we'll talk about hope. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1. And before I get into this passage, let me just give you a little background. This context means everything when we read Scripture, right? Context means everything. So as you can probably guess, the Apostle Peter, he wrote this letter. Now, the, the same Apostle Peter who was one of the 12 disciples. This is about 30, 30, 30 to 35-ish years after Jesus Christ had been crucified, buried, rose again, and ascended into heaven. So this is about 30 to 35 years after that time period. And Peter, he's in Rome. This, the Roman Empire is still going strong and it's still the biggest power in the world. There's an emperor by the name of Nero. Most people you know, recognize that name pretty infamously. Nero, he's, he's on the throne at this time period. But there's no empire-wide persecution of Christians at this time period, although that will come soon. So the Apostle Peter, he's in Rome, and he's writing to a letter of churches scattered in Asia Minor. Asia Minor is in an area what we call modern-day Turkey. So he's writing this letter to encourage the believers there in Asia Minor. Because although there's no empire-wide persecution, Christians are still suffering in pockets here and there throughout the empire. Either their property would be confiscated, either Christians would be ridiculed in public, they would even be beaten, sometimes killed. And so he's writing this letter to encourage Christians, believers there in Asia Minor. And here's what he says, starting at verse 3 says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. 
in this you rejoice, though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So the Apostle Peter, he starts off with his passage praising God. It's like with an exclamation point. He is praising God. He can't help but help himself to give glory and honor to God. And he starts off by saying this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, so why does the Apostle Peter praise God at this moment? Why? The passage gives you why. He, he says why. He says this. It says, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be renewed, re revealed in the last time. See, the Apostle Peter is kind of setting this foundation. What he's saying is that all of life should be viewed through this prism, that you have an undefiled, a great reward, reward in heaven for you through Jesus Christ. All of life should be viewed through that, and that serves as a foundation for how you view everything else in life. You know, when we talk about this passage, talks about salvation. Salvation doesn't really make sense unless you understand what you're saved from. Because otherwise, why do you need salvation? It doesn't really make sense. I've used this illustration before, so forgive me if you've heard this before. But it's really critical, this time period, just understanding the gospel message. So we're at a point in American uh, society, history, where if you just say the word debt or hear the word debt, you get worried, you know? You start to sweat. Your heart starts to beat. You start to freak out, right? <laughs> debt. And that's because we all understand debt at this time period, or at least most of us. That's partially due to the housing market crash in 2008, student loans just piling up, bills piling up, and of course, most recently, COVID, throwing everything out of whack. <laughs> and it seems like our bills and debt just growing and growing larger and larger, but the opportunity to pay it off gets smaller and smaller. You see, the word sin, another translation for the word sin is debt. It is debt that we owe God. The funny thing about this debt is that the longer we live, every moment by moment that we live on this earth, we're actually adding to that debt. That debt is growing before God. I don't know, does that freak you out? I mean, the thing is, is that with this debt, it's, it's very tricky because many times when we approach this debt that we owe before God, we think we can pay it off. We think that we can pay it off by good works or whatever the case may be, but but if you just really just sit down, just take a few seconds to think about it, how can you pay a debt to a God who owns everything? <laughs> you owe this God something, but yet he, owes, he owns everything. You can't pay that off. I mean, I know many people say, hey, God, here's a game plan. 
I'll give you all that I have. I'll give you all my money, my time, my energy. That should be good enough for me to earn salvation. And God says, well, guess what? I actually own all that, you, all that you have. I own all your money. I own all your possessions. That's not going to work out. Another option is many people want to say, okay, I get that, God. What I'll give you is I'll give you all glory and honor. I'll praise you with my mouth. I get an award. I'll say thanks to Jesus Christ for this award. I'll do whatever it takes just to give you glory and honor. What does God say? Well, you are creation. I'm creator. I'm God. I deserve all glory and honor. I am due all glory. You're you're supposed to do that, (laughs) you know? I mean, you get that sinking feeling in your stomach that, (laughs) <laughs> this debt is going nowhere, right? This debt is going nowhere. So the thing is, many people react to that understanding, to that revelation of this debt that's going nowhere. They react, we react in the wrong way. I'll just give you just three common examples. There are many examples, but one way that people react is I just say, hey, there is no God and there is no debt. You know, just ignore it, pretend like it's not there. The Apostle Paul, he goes through this in Romans chapter 1. People lie to themselves. There is no God. There is no debt. You know that's not going to work out. I mean, it doesn't work out in real life. You run up that credit card. You pretend like you don't owe anything. What's going to happen? Something worse, right? <laughs> if it doesn't work for man, why do you think it's going to work for God? Another reaction, you might you know, respond and say, Hey, God, I know I know. owe this gigantic debt towards you. What I'll do is I'll just give you just a little bit here, a little bit there, and you should be happy that I'm at least giving you something for this debt. That's not going to work either. Try doing that with BG&E. I'll just pay just a little bit of my electric bill, just, just a little bit, and, and you should be happy about that. It doesn't work with them. It's not going to work with God. Another way people typically respond is, you totally flip the script. Just, just flip the script. God, you got it all wrong. I don't owe you. You owe me. This life on this earth is not going out the way I thought it was. You actually owe me this. You owe me money, fame, recognition, success, whatever the case may be. God, you owe me. I don't owe you anything. Man, if I happen to have that conversation with one of my kids, you know, you know growing up, who is just with, hey, hey, Dad, I, I don't feel like I should do the chores around the house. As a matter of fact, you should be buying this, that, and a third for me. That's not going to be a good conversation, right? <laughs> it's going to be a one-way conversation. If that's, if that's the case with me and my kid, <laughs> what do you think is going to be with God? See, none of this makes sense. The good news does not make sense without the bad news. And this is reality. The bad news is that we all owe a debt before a God, a holy and righteous God. That's why the good news makes sense. You see, you start to realize that only an infinite God can pay an infinite debt. And he has done that through his son, Jesus Christ. And you obtain that reward, that great grace and mercy from God himself through faith in Jesus Christ. See, but God, he's a great God. He's a loving God. He's a merciful God. He's a gracious God. He goes far beyond just paying our debt, getting just to zero balance, right? (laughs) 
<laughs> he doesn't just pay our debt and get us to zero balance. He goes far beyond that and gives us a great reward. The very storehouse of heaven belongs to us through Jesus Christ. The very reward that Jesus Christ received for conquering sin, Satan, and death is now ours. His victory over sin, Satan, and death is our victory over sin, Satan, and death. His great reward is now our great reward. We have now have salvation through Jesus Christ. And this is what the Apostle Peter, this is what he's rejoicing in. This is how he starts off. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he goes on. He has called us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Again, this is the prism to view all life. This sets the foundation for what the Apostle Peter is going to go on next. And this will be two points, just two quick points I just want to highlight here. And the first is this. Your future hope puts into perspective current events. Your future hope, remember, hope, being that future promise that's yet to be fully realized in the here and now, but yet that promise is unchanging. It's certain. That future hope changes your perspective on current trials. He says this in verse 6, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, let me make clear here. The Apostle Peter, he's not making light of suffering. He's not making light of pain. He says, though you'll suffer for a little while, but the Apostle Peter here, he is recognizing suffering and pain. Suffering would not be called suffering if it weren't painful. It would be called something else. So he's not making light of it. But what he is saying is that this suffering that you're going through now, whatever the case may be, physical, mental, spiritual, for the name of Christ, this suffering that you're going through now, it does not compare to the eternal future reward as heaven waiting for you. It doesn't even compare. Whatever suffering that this life has, it will be engulfed, swallowed up, obliterated, whatever adjective you want to use, by the future reward that is yours in Christ Jesus. It is between, difference between night and day. There is no comparison. Yeah. So as hard, as painful as this, this life is, it's not some gimmick he's throwing here. <laughs> it's the apostle Peter who witnessed Jesus Christ's ministry here on earth who witnessed even his suffering. The Apostle Peter even rejected Christ when Christ needed him most, right? But yet he also saw his resurrected body. He, he was also reinstated by Christ, and his life had never been the same. And he is, knows this future promise is more real than any suffering that goes on in his life now. It's encouraging these Christians, these Christians then in Asia Minor, and us through the power of God's word, us right now. He is encouraging us that no matter what the suffering is in this life, it does not compare to the future reward. Amen. You know, another way to say what I just said, probably in the negative, is that whatever comfort 
that you pursue in this life at the expense of the name of Jesus Christ, you'll be sorely disappointed when we stand before God. You'll be sorely disappointed. Whatever comfort you seek now at the expense of the name of Jesus Christ, you'll be sorely disappointed when you stand before God. That's another way of saying it. You know, I used to box for a little bit in college, and boxing practice, I mean, I, mean, I really loved boxing practice, until I didn't, right? So, so boxing practice, I love training, I love sparring, I love hitting people in the face, I love getting hit in the face, there's just something about it that's pretty cool. As I'm getting older, you know, probably not. But I really enjoyed it, but at the end of every single boxing practice, it was inevitable, right? that we would do calisthenics. We would just get up in a group, start doing push-ups, sit-ups, all this other stuff. Man, I hated that. I mean, heck, I mean, I already go to a military school, we're already doing push-ups and sit-ups throughout the day anyway. I'm not looking for extra, right? So every single time at the end of uh, Boston practice, I'll do one of two things, right? As everybody started getting down, doing their push-ups or doing whatever the case may be, and, and you know, we're a large group, there's only a few leaders out in front so it's not like every single leader can keep an eye on everybody doing the exercise, right? So everybody's doing their exercise, I'll just, like, just melt back. Just melt back in the ether, just, like, just walk away. <laughs> They'd never miss me, right? Or so I thought. Another way that I would just try to get out of this is that as we're doing the exercises, I'll just do it halfway. I would not give it my all. And every once in a while, there would be some leader up front who would give this, you know, say you know, some statement like this. Hey, if you're not giving it your all right now, you're only hurting yourself. That was the most bizarre statement I had ever heard in my life. I, I did not understand what he said. <laughs> I only realized what, I, what the guy was saying until about a year ago, right? And college was a long time, so this, that's a big chunk. <laughs> I did not understand what he said. <laughs> but what the leader, what he was saying is that, Hey, because you're not persevering through this exercise, through this strain, you're not growing, you're not building strength, you're not building endurance. And so you're, in the end, you might think you're, you're getting out scot-free, but you're only hurting yourself. That's one thing he was saying. <laughs> Another thing that I would add to that, through my, you know, exiting out of practice sometimes, what I would add to that is this as well. Hey, People see you exiting out every once in a while. <laughs> and while we're not going to jump on your case or, or anything, you're, like you're still cool, you're still one of us, but what people see, they realize and see that you don't value being on this team. You don't value being part of this family. <laughs> because you're not going through this with us. And so those are the two lessons that I learned, just looking back from avoiding that. Just in connection to what the Apostle Peter, what he's saying. He's saying that nothing compares Nothing compares to this reward that you have in Christ. No comfort, no possessions, no rewards, no money, no fame, no recognition, no promotion compares to the person that you cherish in Jesus Christ. Whatever pain or suffering you go through, it's going to be okay because you have a future promise. Yes, it's painful. Yes, it's suffering, but it does not compare to your future reward. And by the way, when I talk about suffering here, I don't want to be 
completely myopic and thinking about that suffering, it's only for Christ, right? Because many of us go through many hardships in life, physical, mental, fill in the break, blank. But the same principle applies. God knows your life through and through. And when people see you go through any type of suffering, maybe not directly tied to the name of Jesus Christ, but yet, through this suffering, you are persevering because you have a hope in Christ. People are amazed. Yeah. You know, people will react in probably one of two ways. Either they'll say, what is this hope that you have because you don't have comfort? You don't have freeness from, freeness from illness or sickness? You don't have money? You don't have this job that I do, but yet you're joyful, you're happy? You are rejoicing and persevering? What is it that you have that I don't have? Either they'll respond that way, or they'll respond this way, which happens a lot, right? You are out of your mind. <laughs> you are nuts. <laughs> Whatever you're believing, it's nuts. Forget it. I'll stick with my own comfort. I'll stick with my own rewards. But we all know how that story ends <laughs> because of this future promise that we have in Christ. So the first point was this, your future hope puts into perspective current trials. Your future hopes put into perspective current trials. And second point is this, your future hope guides your current life. Your future hope guides your current life. You see this in verse 8, the Apostle Peter says this, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Let me just stick here for a moment, right? Now, love, what the Apostle Peter is referring to isn't just a sentimental, emotional uh, uh, feeling, although love does include that, right? But what the Apostle P Peter also is getting at is that, yes, you cherish Jesus Christ, but they know you also obey Jesus Christ. You're obedient to him. Jesus Christ, you know, even mentioned that. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You'll obey me. The Apostle Peter is just focusing in, in here that because of your love for Jesus Christ it is influencing, impacting how you live your life now. You're obedient to him. Not only are you persevering, but you're loving others. As best as you can, you are obeying God through the power of the Holy Spirit. See, that's the great uh, uh, gift of a future reward that is so sure and so certain. Because we know the certain outcome of life, we have no fear of what we go through now. We are motivated. We are encouraged because our future is unchanging in Jesus Christ. Now, just to tell you a little bit about myself, I probably know that I'm telling you a little bit about myself throughout this sermon, but I love artwork, right? I'm a big fan of art, particularly uh, Broke style of art. So it's a uh, you know, it's all art that was, you know, popular in the West during the 17th century. Uh, you probably heard of, you know, you know broke music, classical music, uh, uh, there's sculptures, paintings, and things of that nature. I'm a really big fan. And uh, there's just one artist, Michelangelo Caravaggio. He has his painting called The Crucifixion of St. Peter. In this picture, the Apostle Peter, St. Peter, he is actually being crucified upside down. There are three young guys who are lifting, hoisting the cross up. It kind of gives the feeling, the, the sense that all those, these three young guys, there's three of them, they're young, they're really struggling getting this cross erected. 
supposed to symbolize the sin, the weight of sin that they're carrying, the burden that they're carrying. The Apostle Peter, although he's being crucified upside down, he's, he kind of looks kind of like strong, full of life. Uh, it's almost as if uh, it's, it's otherworldly. You know, he doesn't look uh, uh, like the young guys, although he's old, he has gray hair, he, he looks healthy, strong. What it's really portraying is that even though the Apostle Peter is facing death, he has this hope, this true reward, this life that's totally contrasted against these three young guys who are burdened by sin. Now, this painting is based upon a tradition that's been passed down. We don't know if it's true or not, but this tradition is that the Apostle Peter. He was crucified upside down. He was crucified upside down because he refused to be crucified right side up like his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so out of humility, he said, crucify me upside down. Now, although that is, we don't know that's true, what we do know that's truth is what's recorded in Scripture. Let me just give some context before I read this. So the context is this. The Apostle Peter, he meets Jesus Christ. This is after Jesus Christ had been crucified, risen, um, and he's still here on earth before he goes to glory in heaven. The Apostle Peter and Jesus, they meet up. And Peter previously, he had denied Jesus Christ three times. He felt weighted by that. He felt like a wretch. He betrayed his love, Jesus Christ. And now this is the first time they're meeting, and so he's kind of excited he wants to demonstrate, show his love for Christ. And so Jesus Christ goes through a series of asking him questions. And, and the Apostle Peter, he's, he's saying that, hey, I love you, I love you, I love you. And this is where we pick it up. This is Jesus Christ speaking. This is the Gospel of John, chapter 21, starting at verse 18. Jesus Christ says this. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old... You will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you, and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. That's pretty amazing. After Peter expresses his love for Jesus Christ, saying that he'll take care of his lambs, his sheep, his church, Jesus Christ says, I know it. I know you love me. I know you love the church. It'll be demonstrated throughout human history through the type of death that you're going to die. <laughs> yes, it'll be painful. It'll be suffering. But your joy will overshadow it. <laughs> it's going to glorify God. See, the Apostle Peter, his death was certain. His death was unchanging. But was more real, more unchanging, more certain than that was the reward he was to receive through Jesus Christ. And it's the same reward we have now for those of us who call upon the name of Jesus Christ. Rejoice in that. We have a living hope who lives in our lives, who guides our lives through pain, through suffering, through the good times and through the bad. And when we lose our lives, we still have Christ. Let me play. Heavenly Father, thank you for your holy word. Thank you for your love and your hand upon our lives. Lord, you've given us grace and mercy. 
so many things we don't deserve in life. You have paid our debt in full and beyond that. So we thank you and praise you for that. Lord, may we be encouraged not only by the life of your Son, Jesus Christ, but the life and death that he endured, but also through the example of your saints throughout history. May we be encouraged and strengthened through your Holy Spirit. May we be bold and courageous in sharing your good news with others. May we be faithful. And when we do step, uh, fall down, when we do make mistakes, may we be strengthened by your church. May we be strengthened by your Holy Spirit. Because you remain faithful. In the holy name we pray. Amen.